Thanks for listening, Unplugged Army. I'm Louis Unga, General Manager at Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. We're proud to present Doug Franz Unplugged. Four minute offense. Four minute offense. Four minutes. Four minute offense. Four minute offense. Everything you need to know in sports that affects Maricopa County, the state of Arizona, and the world, you get in four minutes. We start things off in Portland, Oregon. What was that? Sun's a loser, 109-104 in Portland. The bench of the Trailblazers outscored the Suns bench 43-14. The Suns dominated the first quarter, winning 36-20 and still lost. Portland is 27th in three-point shooting. They went 14 of 28 for 50% compared to the Suns only five for 23. Kevin Durant had 40 points in the game. KD, what happened? He was able to make the extra pass. You got to give him credit. They made swing some passes and got that shot. Brogdon is a knockout shooter, so it's hard to leave him open. Um, but we played hard there in the fourth quarter trying to get back into the game, and we've seen some stuff that we could do. Thanks to Dwayne Rankin. They did play hard in the fourth quarter. What about the second and the third, though? That was kind of the problem. Aiton dominated Nurkic, 16 points, 15 boards for DA, 9 points, 13 boards for Nurkic. Booker had 26 points, but he was only one for five from three. Suns off today and tomorrow. They're at Sacramento Friday night. We're gonna talk about playing hard. Crazy goals scored by the Senators. Ottawa's up three to nothing in the first. Coyotes win anyway. They score four goals in the third period, win four to three, and Andre Turney said they had the momentum the whole time, even when they were trailing. They made good play on their goal, give them credit, but still, I think we had the momentum. We create good offense. We, uh, we were good in our structure. We had more traffic in the net. We had more pucks in the net. All the stuff we, we talk about. Vimelka finished strong as he came in for Ingram. Connor didn't do anything wrong, just got pulled for energy's sake. McBain only had one point through all of October. He ended up with one goal and one assist in the same game. Now, Yotes are only two points behind Nashville for the best wildcard spot, and they're three points ahead of St. Louis to get into the playoffs. They're in San Jose, the Coyotes are, tomorrow night. Coordinator day for press conferences. Drew Petsing, the OC, said he's not concerned about the wide receiver situation with limited receptions lately. Nick Rollis, DC, he discussed eye discipline and Chicago quarterback Justin Fields. Justin Fields presents a lot of issues on his own, and you know it takes a lot to prepare for how dynamic a player he is. See what they could do in Chicago, cold and rain coming up Sunday, 225. Just some crazy things you need to see when you get to work today. Memphis and Golden State, in which John ja Morant comes back from a 25-game suspension. He had 34 points, including the game winner at the buzzer on a driving layup. Steph Curry goes off in the OT. Golden State wins at home against the Celtics. Lots going on tonight for college basketball all in Maricopa County. Golden State's at home, 6 o'clock. They take on Sam Houston State. Then a doubleheader downtown in which we get ASU and U of A. It'll be the Sun Devils against Northwestern, who's in the top 25 at 6.30. And U of A takes on Bama. Yes, this time is correct at 9 o'clock. And finally, 
Meet John. His dad passed away at almost 100 years old. But when he looked in his dad's closet to prepare the house for sale, he found an old tin box that he remembers being allowed to look at as a boy, but only if his dad was around. He couldn't believe if it was really the same box. For the first time in Ed's life, excuse me, John's life, he opened up his dad's cigarette tin box without his dad being present. And the contents were still there. Over 600 rare baseball cards, including 100 in excellent condition. Christy Mathewson, Walter Johnson, Ty Cobb, oh my goodness, Shoeless Joe Jackson, and over 20 Babe Ruth cards that used to be handed out with a little snack called Z-Nuts. Wow. Well, Z-Nuts has now made this man very rich. John will be a millionaire within the next three months. Jackpot Unplugged Army, I feel like a true commander-in-chief to be able to give you such an unprecedented savings. Go to Unplugged at Whirlwind.com and check out the new membership club from Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. Whirlwind Plus. Here's what you get. You sign up for a tee time anytime between now and five days from now, and you can save anywhere from a minimum of 30% up to 60% off plus 15% off at Civlik, the restaurant, and another 15% off in the pro shop. I'm telling you, you walk into the pro shop, get bowls, a shirt, and a hat. You walk over for happy hour with your wife. You might pay for your monthly membership right then and there. It's $34 a month, cancel anytime. Or if you want to save even more, because that equals out to a little more than $400, you can get it for only $299 a year. Whirlwind Plus at Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. Go to unpluggedatwhirlwind.com and feel the wind. I'm Janelle, General Manager of Bell's Nashville Kitchen, a.k.a. the Whiskey Wizard. Bell's isn't your typical country bar with mediocre bar food. We are a scratch kitchen with chef-inspired dishes in the only place you can get the best sandwich in all of Arizona, our Nashville hot chicken sandwich. Now, the drinks. I spend days infusing our own whiskey creations. Come in for Whiskey Wednesdays to learn about and drink our famous whiskey selection. We have live music most days and all weekend as part of our honky-tonk brunch. Bell's Nashville Kitchen on Main Street in Old Town Scottsdale. You found home, down home. Just a quick note to my beloved father. I don't have expectations. But at least let me know, where are your baseball cards? I just, I just need to know. I, I don't know why I'm thinking about it right now. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Whenever it is that you decided to make Doug Franz unplugged a part of your day, my family greatly appreciates it. My name is Doug Franz, and you have found the only podcast and TV show in the world. Totally devoted to the coverage of the four major sports franchises of one great American city that drops on your phone each and every weekday morning. We also cover ASU, U of A, GCU, the Rattlers, the Rising, and the Merck. This is Doug Franz Unplugged, presented by Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. Okay, first and foremost, please don't let that go in one ear and out the other. 
Wild Horse Pass, Wild Horse Pass, Wild Horse Pass. Uh, everybody at Whirlwind Golf Club, I just I, I owe them so much. You have done so much for my family. Sweet Lou, everybody out there. The staff is incredible. Civlick is amazing. Best wings in the city. The beer is cold. The people are wonderful. I think I said the people are wonderful three times, but I don't care. People are wonderful. Uh, I just love being out there. So if you haven't finished all your Christmas shopping, especially those of you that are executives, it's only $34 a month to be a Whirlwind Plus member. So buy it for your staff and uh, you're not spending a ton of money on everybody. And yet at the same time, if you do that, they can decide on their own if they want to keep going on their membership because you can cancel any time. And then if you're talking about an individual, it's only $2.99 for the year. And what that gives you is, yes, you have to pay when you golf. It's not free golf, but you get the cheapest rate there is for that day. So we're coming up in the spring and spring training when it's usually around $200 a round at Whirlwind. And you get the best rate. So the best rate that day might be at 3 in the afternoon when you're not going to be able to finish your round because it's going to get dark, but you only have to pay like you know, 130 140 something like that. Don't hold me to these numbers because they fluctuate. But here's the difference. You choose your tea time. But because you're a Whirlwind Plus member, you pay the same rate the guy that shows up at the last tea time pays. You get the best rate there is when you play. If you play as a World One Plus member, it is so worth it. It pays for itself so fast, especially the two ninety nine rate for the year. Plus, they're going to have different events throughout the year that you get exclusive invitations to. So that's Whirlwind Plus, and what uh, if you're watching on WTSMTV.com, that's what Jeff Weir Production just put up, which is unplugged at Whirlwind.com, which is a great website to go to. Simply, you can walk in and ask about it. You can learn about Whirlwind Plus on the regular Whirlwind site, but that's just an easier place for Unplugged Army members to get straight to the point If you, since I've already explained it to you. I just wanted to give them a shout-out. Yeah, I, uh, I'm thinking of baseball cards today. Totally thinking of baseball cards. My father had a bunch of baseball cards. I was a kid that collected a lot of baseball cards when I was young, um, I still have them, but I don't know how much they're worth anymore because all the players that were worth a lot then just turned out to either have drug issues or didn't end up in the Hall of Fame despite some good numbers early in their career, things like that. Uh, I do have a Bonds rookie, which I don't know how much that's worth since uh, that'll ne he'll never get into the Hall of Fame. And I don't want him in the Hall of Fame. I don't think he deserves it. But at the same time, I understand what uh, that mine will be worth a little less. And then my father had a Carl Yastrzemski rookie card in terrible condition. <laughs> terrible condition. And he talks about, yeah, left in the shoebox. It rained, I think. Put them in my bicycle spokes. Stuff like that. Like, ah! <laughs> so I still want to, I don't even know if he still has them. But uh, just thinking about this. So Ed is almost 100. Dies. His son is going through the house in order to get it prepared to sale and to sell and finds this old tin cigarette box that he totally remembers when he was a kid his dad would let him look at it but only with his dad present because his dad loved the collection and it was the, the the baseball cards themselves are hilarious looking they're more painted cards 
printed up after an artist's drawing of each guy, and they were in candy packets called Z-Nuts. Can you imagine getting away with naming your company Z-Nuts now? <laughs> but, but that was the name of like this candy snack thing. And, his, and you'd get a card in each one. And his dad loved the snack and loved the baseball cards. So his dad had 600 of these in a tin. So what they're doing is they're taking the ones of kind of lesser known guys and selling, auctioning that off as a group. And that alone will probably get five to six figures. And then auctioning off the Babe Ruths, the Ty Cobbs, the Walter Johnsons, the Christy Mathewsons, uh, the Shoeless Joes. I, I can't imagine. This guy is going to be a millionaire after the auction is over, just like that, just from dad's card. So uh, hopefully my dad can, uh, can find those baseball cards for me. <laughs> With the condition of my dad's cards, I could easily get an extra 15 bucks. Oh, that's frustrating. So frustrating. Uh, I had a wonderful night last night. I had to tell you about this. I um, I was asked to speak at an Eagle Scout reception. So one young man's getting an Eagle Scout award. There's all of these Boy Scouts in the uh, in the front two rows, and then there is a bunch of adults, and uh, and I, I felt kind of funny speaking. And the reason why is I don't think any of the kids had any idea who I was. Like, I'm really confident they had no idea who I was. And the recipient, or all the Boy Scouts that were there, three of them were even alive when Doug and Wolf started. And then when I was introduced, two people there knew who I was. It's funny, they don't know Doug Franz, but when I said Doug and Wolf, most like almost every adult was like, "Oh, I didn't know you exist." You could just see the the look on their faces when I told them who I was. So I talked about you know the life and bouncing around, and then I incorporated all of the times that I was really successful in life, and all the times that I was a miserable, abject failure, and really how much of a rock Jennifer was at the times that I was weak, and how strong of a man I was, especially in my faith when Jennifer was struggling mentally as she laid upside down. I think you know the story, but she laid upside down with Vienna for three weeks. That was the only way they could keep uh, Vienna somewhat inside Jennifer. And then Vienna was born at only 24 weeks, only a pound, four ounces when she was born. And I, you know I drink Mountain Dew. Babies lose weight after they're born. She went down to 14 ounces. So yes, this is pop. A can of pop is 12 ounces. So my own daughter weighed two ounces more than a can of pop. What do you mean she laid upside down? It is, so it's called Trendelenburg position. It's crazy, Jeff Weir production. After you go through that experience, you learn all of these things that you never in a million years know. Like if I walk in to what's called a NICU, uh, it's like a neonatal intensive care unit. It's like, boom, flashback, immediately I'm back. I look at all the monitors and I know exactly what everything means. And I know exactly where all the wires are going. It's it's crazy. I mean, you just walk in and, oh, look at that. Hey, the O2 sat's a little low here. Uh, hey, do we need a, a humidifier on a little bit more here? The baby looks a little jaundiced. I mean, it's insane what I, what I know after you go through that. But Vienna was in the hospital for, I, I would say, three and a half months, something like that. She was due May 8th, born January 18th 
she was that early, and then she came home in late April, so she was in the hospital for that long. Well, anyway, um, what they decided to do with Jennifer is at at 21 weeks when we went into the hospital, Vienna was already two-thirds of the way down the birth canal. So what they do, when I say upside down, the truth is I always go like this. It's at about a 35-degree angle. So they put the foot of her bed up in the air. So her head is laying backwards. I mean, she's laying on her back, and she's laying in a sense upside down. Now, I don't mean that she's hanging from her ankles. She's still in a bed. But the angle is unbelievably severe. So she basically had a constant headache for three straight weeks with the blood just sitting in her head. She wasn't even allowed to get up and go to the bathroom, which I've told you before how I can't change you know, the crappy diapers. So like, I would be visiting Jennifer, and when it was, it was time for her to go to the bathroom, I would be out of the room for like three hours. I just couldn't come back in. It was awful. It was just awful. They put that little bedpan thing under there. Oh, my gosh, it was disgusting. So sorry about that this morning. Hey, cheers. But it was crazy. And she became so mentally exhausted. I remember her crying her eyes out one time when I came in. And I said, what's going on? She goes, I just can't believe my mom is so wonderful. And I, and I, that was the first time I've ever thought about the mother-in-law being wonderful. And I said, well, wait, what, what happened? She goes, she washed my hair. I feel so much better. Wait. You had your hair washing? We're this emotional about it? Well, you don't understand. I've been like, yo, okay, 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 sorry, sorry. I was just thinking logically. I haven't been upside down for three weeks. I didn't understand. You're right. You're right. Whatever you want. You want another crossword puzzle? You know, I didn't know what to do. So it was the life and times of being in your 20s with your wife upside down. You just, you learn a lot about her and yourself, I can tell you. I do not recommend it. But you do become inseparable. You know, you want your marriage to work. I got a good way to make it work. Have your wife lay upside down for three weeks and spend, I don't know, $1,100 a day on uh, just intensive care. That's it. I mean, that didn't even include anything else. I'll never forget this sheet of paper one time. It had 27 stickers on it. And I asked, it was hanging on the isolette of Vienna. And I asked the uh, uh, nurse, what is, what is this thing that you guys always put stickers on? She goes, oh, that's Vienna's first credit card. <laughs> wonderful a big day today big day i have i don't know how long the list is i i i have a pretty good honeydew list for today i'm taking off friday so i'll be here tomorrow and i'm taking off friday and next week so uh vacation shows the last week of december and they're going to kind of be hit or miss if uh if the family and i are doing something i i'll, I'll focus on the family and I don't want to put out crap. So if I don't know what happened that night, I'm not going to put out crap. But at the same time, I plan on doing that. But there'll be no visual TV shows from me. However, uh, Jeff Schneider has volunteered. And Jeff, we're production. You don't know this. Uh, Jeff Schneider has volunteered of hanging with Coop. He wants to give it a shot. He wants to see what he can do. So coming up a week from today, next Wednesday, Jeff Schneider will be doing Doug Franz Unplugged. And he goes, I don't know if I'm going to ask for guests or if I'm just going to just try it. Just see, can I talk for two hours? And I said, okay, okay. We actually spoke yesterday before he oh, left. And he's going to try to have um, Bruce and one other guy. I can't remember who he said. He said a name, but it was like a nickname, and I, I couldn't catch who it was. Okay, okay. So we're going to have both of those guys on at the same time. That's awesome. Yeah, that's so awesome. that'll be pretty neat. So that's on Wednesday, and then Izzy has no idea that I'm going to ask him this, but I'm going to say, Izzy, do you want to do any shows? 
Nothing wrong with him saying no. <laughs> but I'm going to ask him if you want to do some shows, jump on it. And then Steve said, just let me know. So Steve, uh, Steve might fill in a couple days. So we'll see what we get for next week you'll still have a Doug Franz unplugged audio podcast if you don't hold me to something specific on occasion I'll be I'll be doing that but the reason why I bring this up is there's kind of a honeydew list for today with with uh tomorrow being my last day at work and Friday being a day off so before I can golf the honeydew list needs done now there's something going on tonight I'm not going but I'm certainly watching a little bitter, as good as U of A is, why ESPN has them on at 11 o'clock Eastern. Makes no sense to me. But tonight downtown, ASU plays at Footprint Center at 6.30, and U of A plays at 9. So this is a great day for hoops to be able to see a lot of top 25 teams. Bama is kind of up and down, but they're close to being top 25. U of A is clearly a top 10 team, despite what happened against Purdue. Uh, top 10, yeah. I think I said top 10, but I, I meant to if I didn't. And uh, Northwestern is number 25 right now, and they are up against ASU. And ASU is nowhere near top 25, but still a, a, a fun watch. So therefore, I've got those two games. So that's what I need to watch tonight are those two games. Can I play golf, get the honeydew list done, and get the college basketball games watched, and get ready for tomorrow's show? Because the problem is with U of A being on at 9 o'clock, that game's going to end about 11.30. The press conference will start sometime around midnight. The U of A probably doesn't post the press conference until about 12.30. Hopefully, I get it watched and don't fall asleep in the chair. So I got a crazy night. But with the night lasting so long... I should be able to, the key is the nap. Can I play golf and get the honeydew list done and get a nap? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. That's kind of my, my champagne problem for the day. I don't think I'll be able to. And I got a couple things I need to do work-wise. So I'm, I'm like in this nebulous reason, but I want to spend some time with my kid. I don't know if you saw it. Uh, Patrick Harrington has this amazing three-minute video of if you really want to get your kids to love golf, do a couple things. Number one, never be stressed while you play with them. That's huge. I would get so angry at how bad I was when I played with the oldest and the oldest hates golf. And I was um, just realized you're terrible, quit being upset when I played with the younger one and she loves golf. So that's a bad dad move on my part. Secondly, he said the most important part of golf is taking your kid to the bar after. <laughs> How about that? He said, buy him a Coke, and then he's so good with sponsors, he knew who was the sponsor of the golf tournament he's at. He says, or this week a Pepsi, a Pepsi, and he corrects himself. And then he goes, get your kid a Pepsi, get your kid an ice cream while you have a pint, and suddenly it's 30 minutes of just the two of you at the club. At the, or No, he says at the bar. And he says, however, don't take them to country clubs all the time because that'll make them soft. <laughs> I thought that was awesome. So that really jacked me up. So uh, I, 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 I just doing it to be a good dad. That's all, Jennifer. That's all, just to be a good dad. Do you think that flew, Jeff Weir Production, at all? I don't know. 
Hi, we'll Jennifer. See. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> That's exactly right. We'll see how Let much me know. how much trouble I get into. All right, uh, here you go. Uh, sound credits for today. It was uh, coordinator day for press conferences with the Cardinals. So we got Nick Rollis and uh, Drew Petzing from azcardinals.com. A free plug for them. They air the whole press conference if you ever want to watch it yourself. I just pull out what, uh, what interests me. Um, where did you get the, uh, the goals from? Because it's probably from Channel 61. You know, Arizona 61 is the actual producer in script sports. But did you find it at coyotes.com? I did. Okay, thank you. For well, YouTube. For you, okay, so yeah, the YouTube, YouTube page, page of the Coyotes. So, so we kind of owe credits to all of those people there. Um, and uh, then the Coyotes PR department sent us Andre Turney for, uh, for the presser. And I, I think that's it. I don't have anything else. Do you, Jeffrey Production House? Uh, what, what are you guys doing this weekend? What's, your, what's the weird family Christmas look like? Um, no plans this weekend, I don't think. Mm. Or if we do, nobody's told me yet. Uh, I'm always the last to find out, so okay. we'll see. Is that by choice, or is that your fault, or are you the black sheep and no one talks to you? No, I mean, it's probably my fault. Okay. But, you know. You know, because like, there's always somebody that says, nobody in my family ever tells me what's going on, and it's like the guy, that one guy that's always whining about feeling left out when it's his fault. You know, like, that, like, like uh, so, I don't want to say it because... They they live in Antif- they listen in Tiffin, but there was one uncle that Jennifer had that was always like that. <laughs> I truly love my family, but yeah. I love the time away from my family oh, as well. Oh, so, I understand but that. But I really, really love every one of them. That's very sweet. My mother-in-law's like that. She's the most wonderful person in the world when she's not around. What and about it, when she is? Let's she's roll. She's an awful. Doug's big one. Okay, I, I, can't, I can't leave that hang. She's the type of person that just can't sit still and wants to take care of you. And it's like, okay, I'm okay. All right, relax. Well, do you, do you want a sandwich? Do you want this? Do you want this? I, all I did was open the fridge. I've been here for three seconds. I don't know what I want. What's in there? Well, there's this, there's this. And then she's getting up and she's starting to pull stuff that she thinks you like. And I'm just, okay, okay, just sit down. It's okay. So it's like that, okay? Now, she has this one nephew, or I have this one nephew, grandson for her. Grant, who Grant, he, he has this ability, and I need to learn this. Grant just walks in the house and says, Nana, what do we have to eat? And just sits down and waits till she serves him. It's awesome. Like, I've, I'm so impressed. I don't have that ability to do that. That, that sounds so expectant. But he's like, listen, I'm not going to fight it. So just run with it. I got to learn that. That is not Doug's big one, but. I thought it was funny to say let's roll and get out of whatever I was falling, uh, whatever I was falling into. Today's true Doug's big one. The number one opinion I have for you today is the Suns have a problem, and I have a problem with the Suns. It's twofold. Let's attack my small problem now because it's a little more personal. I love the Suns. Love the Suns. I don't have any connection to this team. And I'm not talking as a member of the media. I'm talking as a fan. I don't do any of you feel connected when you see Cam Johnson grow up with the team, when you see Mikael Bridges grow up with the team. Even I don't I'm so sick of DeAndre Ayton, but he's still a really nice young man. He's a good kid. You still get to see him grow up and I you know, getting mad at him is kind of fun to be quite honest. But you watch that team that made it to the finals, and it was like they were part of our lives every day. 
And the problem with trying to buy a championship is if they don't win or play well, there's no connection. Okay, so that's my problem. I don't know if you have that same problem. Part of Doug's big one, now if I get more analytical and stop being a fan and looking at this team, I, I, it's time to stop the idea that you're going to flip the switch and be able to figure it out. That doesn't mean it's time to panic. It means it's time to get mad. It's not time to say this team can't win a championship and make generalizations about April basketball versus the irrelevance of December basketball, okay? Nothing that's happening now means it can't change by April. Don't forget that as you hear me start a little mini rant. Not a full rant. I'm not totally bent out of shape. But what I saw last night... And what I saw come into play quite often with this team is really bothersome. They won the first quarter 36-20 to 20, and then laid an enormous egg for the next hour of real time. Just the closeouts from three were lazy, ridiculous, and confusing. Portland is the 27th best three-point shooting team in the NBA. 27th. In case you're wondering, there are 30 teams in the NBA. 27th. Only three teams in the entire NBA shoot the three worse than the Trailblazers. Did you see last night? If you didn't see it, they shot 50% from three. 50 Now, if that 50% is like two for four, even if it's six for 12, it's not that annoying. They were 14 for 28. You gave up 14 three-pointers to one of the worst shooting teams in basketball. That only happens for three reasons. You choose which of the three. You've got bad players. You've got clueless players. You've got lazy players. Which one is it? You guys decide. It doesn't matter to me. That's the only way a bad shooting team gets that hot is it's your defense. So what happens in these situations is a lot of teams will make excuses. I like Kevin Durant, but he has this one excuse that is just, to me, ridiculous. When he goes, well, it's a make-or-miss league. Everybody likes to say that. Well, it's a make-or-miss league. If you make your shots, there's nothing we could do about it. That is the most horrible excuse for basketball there is. Is it true teams get hot? Yes, it is. Is it true good teams get hot? Yes, they do. But when bad teams get hot, don't use the line, well, they've got professional players too. No, 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 no. It was because your players did not play professionally. They did not have a professional attitude. They did not hate losing to the point I think you're allowed to say not hate, to the point where it gets blood under their nails and they're attacking everything. And then once you allow a bad shooting team to get rolling, okay, now you've got a problem. But if you play hard the whole game, you don't have anything to worry about. And that was the Suns last night. 16-point lead in the first quarter and then just shut it down. Acted like we've accomplished all we need to accomplish. And that's embarrassing because 
Number one, I will never understand this about a lot of our professional teams in this city. Obviously, minus the Coyotes right now with the way they're playing and minus the Rattlers and the Mercury for being championship organizations through a long stretch of their history. We have one championship since the sun started. And when, I, when you say, wait, Doug, the Suns don't have a championship. No, no, no. I mean in this city, in Maricopa County. We have all four professional sports teams. We have one championship. It's over 20 years old. And the city has been a, a professional town for 60 years. Well, that's a little bit much. 52 years. So for 52 years, we're a professional city. We got one. Somebody explain, Kevin Durant, I know you're beating us, okay? I know you've got more championships than we do. But can somebody decide in that organization, we're never taking time off. We're playing hard all the time. You know why? Because you have the sellout crowd. You have the owner of your dreams that's willing to do anything to win. And this team is not doing it. And that's a problem. You're not playing hard enough. Should Frank Vogel be concerned? Not about getting fired, but he's got to take some accountability here because he's a defensive head coach, and the problem with this team is defense. Now, I don't think it's schematics. I don't think the guy can't coach, but I think there's clearly a disconnect between him and his team because they can't be doing what he's asking them to do. Have there been a mountain load of injuries? Yes. Is it easy when you have injuries? No. It's de defensive chemistry exists. If you don't know what you're doing, you screw up. If you're sitting there concerned because you don't think somebody else knows what they're doing, you end up either not helping them, getting frustrated, or trying to do two people's job at the same time, which means you don't do either. That happens, all right? But that's a lot of this is on the players for not play when you just closing out on three-point guys oh I don't want to be that aggressive I'll stay 15 at 15 feet and I'll just put my hand up and hope he doesn't make it oh he made it oh well and then our three the Suns three-point shooting they went five of 23 here's where it gets even crazier they went three of six from three in the first quarter in the first quarter they're shooting 50 percent they made three threes in the last three quarters, they went two for 17. The ball movement was a disaster. And that's exactly what was supposed to be a massive strength was offensive ball movement. Even Devin Booker wasn't moving the ball well. Then the bench. The bench scoring in this game was 43 to 14. The moves this team has made. I liked. When I say I liked it, let's squarely look at the Kevin Durant trade. I said for the whole time that rumor was going around, choose Cam Johnson or Mikel Bridges, not both. When I saw the final trade, I said, you know what? I really don't like giving up the draft picks and Mikel and Cam. I would like to have thought you could have held on longer. A lot of reports came out after the trade and said, nope, Brooklyn was serious. They wouldn't have done it. I... I don't know if I believe that, but I admit I did not go on a rant and say it's a terrible trade. I didn't come out against the trade. I just said I wish they would have held firm a little bit longer and not given up as much. 
But if I don't go off on the trade, I can't now act like it was a bad trade. And the way Kevin Durant is playing offensively, he has been fantastic. Fantastic. But KD is not playing as good defensively as he used to. He looks a step slow defensively. He even looks more explosive offensively. I don't know how. I don't know if that's attitude or what. But there's nobody that's playing lockdown defense. Hopefully when a Kogi gets 100% healthy, maybe he'll do it. But I get the sense a Kogi wants to get in on the scoring too. Somebody on this team has to lead. I know that that's, I never thought that would be a problem with this team. But it is. And it's official now after what we saw. And it's also time to look at something else. Were they wrong in getting rid of Chris Paul? I'm still going to say no, they weren't. And the reason why I say that is because name a time Chris Paul plays 78 games and is healthy throughout the playoffs. I'm sorry. Chris, I'm sorry to bring that up. I'm not trying to jinx you, but you never do it. So I was in favor of moving on from Chris Paul. But what is clear, Devin Booker is doing a wonderful job as the point guard. However, nobody's doing a good job as the two guard. Nobody is. And I think the team would be more whole and actually deeper with a better bench if they got a true starting point guard. Get a true starting point guard, move Devin Booker to shooting guard. A lot of people think that's some kind of insult to Book. A lot of people think that opinion is actually wrong because Booker's doing well. He's got a decent assist-to-turnover ratio. I am not saying Booker at point guard is the problem. I'm saying Booker not being the shooting guard is the problem. I want more of his offense coming from him during the game off of the pass. At the end of the game, I don't care. It's true. Mike D'Antoni is the one that invented this in the James Harden days. He came in to the Houston Rockets and said, you know what's really dumb? It's really dumb that we dribble the ball up the court waste seven or eight seconds to get the ball up the court, then run James Harden off a bunch of screens, and then finally with 11 seconds left in the shot clock, James Harden has the ball. Why don't we just give it to James right from the beginning? And it dramatically changed offense in the world. The way I mean, that Mike D'Antoni, his offensive genius is incredible. If he ever actually practiced defense once in a while, he'd have three rings. But this is what he did in, with James Harden, and it changed everything. So I totally understand the theory of why Devin Booker should be the point guard. I'm now officially against it for this reason. Make him the two-minute point guard. Make him the late and the two uh, late and close. All right. There's a good stat in baseball, late and close, and it basically means you're within one run. What's your batting average in the seventh, eighth, and ninth innings? Late and close. I want D. Book as the point guard, late and close. Don't mess around. Bring the ball up. But I want it two minutes a game, not 48 or 38, the minutes that he plays. This team needs a point guard. It'll improve the bench and the starting lineup, and it's not Booker's fault. It's just watching the games. We got problems. All right, there's the Doug's big one, which is more an opinionated portion of what I saw last night from the Suns. Now let's get a little deeper into what the Suns did. Uh, I don't have access to um, what we would call sound in the business of the head coach, I almost said Mike D'Antoni, the head coach Frank Vogel and what he had to say. However, 
Good work by Jeff Weir Production and Izzy Isaiah Jackson. They scavenged around YouTube and they were able to find some uh, a presser of of Frank Vogel. So therefore, since I didn't see it last night, we're going to kind of wing it. Let's start playing that if you don't mind. Uh, we, don't, we don't have the Frank Vogel. Oh, I thought we. I thought you found some Frank. I mean, I remember you saying it sounded, or we couldn't get it. Like NBA.com is saying, you know, Doug, you stink, mm. and and w- and wouldn't let us touch it. But I thought you found it somewhere else, and that was just me not listening. So, good job by me. Apologize. Uh, apology uh, completely coming from me, absolutely. Um, however, we have uh, KD, right? And okay. I'm working on getting that in. Oh, okay, okay. Yep. Um, so, I want, I want to do that, and then um, that's from Dwayne Rankin's Twitter handle. So, free plug for Dwayne, the uh, really good beat reporter from the Arizona Republic. However, uh, Dwayne, I would, I would love for you to buy a mic. You know what? I should do this. I'm being totally serious now. Dwayne Rankin, would you travel with one of our microphones? I probably shouldn't text him at 5.43 Pacific time. I'm, I don't know if he's coming home or not. Um, I mean, you're in Portland, but you don't play again until Friday. I know if I'm him, I'm coming home this morning, and I'll be in Phoenix Wednesday, Thursday, and then I'll fly, I would fly out Friday night. But being a true beat reporter, they're going to have a practice somewhere in Sacramento this week, so he needs to be there, so never mind. So, yeah, it's 5.43 in the morning in Portland. He's probably not awake and probably doesn't care about my opinion. But I'm getting you a microphone, Dwayne, if you don't mind using it. And then I'll steal your sound. How's that for a deal? I think it's fair. But so the, the sound isn't always perfect. But do me a favor and Jeff Weir Production, just yell at me as soon as you get it. And uh, I want to play KD as soon as it's ready. Um, the other thing to talk about in this game was Aiton and Nurkic. And I have to say it, if I'm going to spend time ripping D.A. for his entire career, I need to step up and say something when he does well. He had 16 points, 15 boards, still looked a little goofy at times in this game, struggled with defensive rotations quite a bit, and uh, had spurts of energy, like where he wanted to show the Suns he can play, and then didn't do it with, with great intensity the whole game. But his job was to be the best center on the floor, and he was. He wasn't the best player on the floor, but he was the best center on the floor. Nurkic had only nine points and 13 boards. And I don't usually say this about a player, especially in December basketball, but I thought Nurkic choked. I thought Nurkic felt like, I need to justify this trade and played as if it was him versus Ayton and was playing scared. And Nurkic, that's not your job. There's never going to be a time where you make $16 million less than DA and we're demanding from you be better than DA's potential. If you play as hard as you can and play unintimidated basketball, you'll always be better than DA for 48 minutes because he can't play that level. He can't play that hard. He doesn't have it in him. It's The game is not in his soul. Nurkic, play with the game touching your soul. You'll always be better than D.A. Don't do that again. Nurkic is not a soft player, but he played a soft game last night. Does that make sense? I'm not calling the man soft. That would be gutless of me. He could whoop me. He's He's not a great player. He's a good player. That's an unfair statement if I was talking about his basketball character. I'm not. It's one game in time. It happens to the best players there are. But there's no excuse for it. And it happened. Uh, we're going to go give a little give and take. If you don't mind, Jeff, your productions will be on your toes if I say stop it for a second. But here is Kevin Durant talking to Dwayne Rankin last night. You know, it's a make or miss league, but the shots that you feel like in that third, you guys got what you wanted for the most part or no? 
That was perfect timing, Jeff, for your production. Uh, and good job boosting the level. Sorry, those of you that are listening on Apple, Google, Amazon, Spotify, tune in. I can't believe how annoying it is when you hear this, ah, and like every single noise from the locker room. But because there's no real microphone and it's phone audio, we've got to boost the levels. And when you boost the levels, it's not just the voices that get lifted. It's all of the noise that gets lifted. But don't rip Dwayne Rankin because we're mooching. <laughs> like, beggars can't be choosers right now. But that, that make or miss quote, I told you I can't stand it. I cannot stand that. And that it justifies poor play. If it's a great team. All right. If Steph Curry is missing shots, are you really going to tell Steph, hey, quit shooting, right? When great players miss shots, all right, life goes on. But I can't stress this enough. Portland was 27th in the league in three-point shooting. So they don't just get hot. That's a lie. That's people telling them, not, not being dishonest to us, it's being dishonest to themselves, You say something like that because you don't want to look in the mirror and realize, wait a minute, my lack of aggression, my laziness, my lack of attention to detail, my effort on the defensive end gave them the green light to get hot. 27th and three-point shooting, 50% from the field, 14 of 28 for the game. Those numbers, 27, 14, 28, they can't go together. That's impossible. Unless defense is a letdown. So I do like what Kevin Durant said when the beginning question is, it's a make or miss league because you want, you know, Dwayne's kind of, he's not sucking up, but he's giving the softball to KD. And KD didn't go necessarily to their shot selection in the third. He went to them getting hot in the third and it was their offense. He's right that they got hot. But I stare at him and say, what happened to the defense? All right, keep going. Brogdon getting the corner threes. Is that a matter of just the rotation not there? Or what? Yeah, I mean, we were we were blitzing the ball a little bit on the pick and roll, so that's going to leave the backside vulnerable a bit. And they was able to make the extra pass. You got to give them credit. They made swing, swing passes and got that shot. Brogdon is a knockdown shooter, so it's hard to leave him open. Uh, but we played hard there in the fourth quarter trying to get back into the game, and we've seen some stuff that we could do. I'm, I'm curious. It's a real important – was that it? Is there, is there any more? Was that it right there, Jeff Weir Production? Yeah, that was oh, it. Okay. The, the Brogdon situation, he's coming off the bench. He had 14 points, but he went 44% from three. And that's a, that's a problem, no doubt about it, okay? But that's one guy with four made three-pointers. What about the other ten? Three-point shooting uh, last night. Sun, Sun's draft pick, uh, Kamara, went uh, one for one from three. Jeremy Grant went three for four, and uh, Walker went one for one, and uh, Thibel went two for three. Now, all of these numbers I'm giving you, think about this for a second. Anthony Simmons did lead Portland with 23 points, right? He had 23 points. However, he was one for seven, I think. Do I have that right? 
two for seven. He went two for seven from three. So they're 14 of 28 doing some quick math. That would mean the rest of the team went 12 of 21. 12 of 21. Listen, that is so inexcusable. And I want to stress this. If you're playing a championship team, that means they have a great bench. It's not that crazy for the second or third guys, the lower starters, or the bench. That's not that crazy for one game for them to get hot. That does happen. So please don't think I'm being a hypocrite when we get into the playoffs or we get late in the season and I credit a different team for being 12 of 21, let's say, from three, okay? When it's a team that's this bad, and I shouldn't say this bad, Portland's, yeah, you know, I should. Portland's what, a seven-win team? This bad and this bad at shooting. And the other guys are the ones that carry it. Not Anthony Simmons. The other guys go 12 for 21. That totally means late rotations. That totally means you're not squaring up. That means you're doubling off of the short corner too often or you're not hedging. You're not getting into people's faces. You're allowing people to drive and now the road and you're not being able to guard out front. What guard out front means is if if I'm guarding you, okay? So Izzy already mocked me yesterday because he scored a lot more points than me in high school. That didn't bother me. What bothered me is he had as many home runs. That's ridiculous. But he, um, if I'm guarding him, all right, truth be told, if I'm guarding him in the paint, I'd just break him in half. But if I'm guarding him out front, it could get ugly. There, there could be some broken ankles, all right? So I'm out front guarding him. If he gets past me, now everybody has to rotate to save my butt, including me. And it's so easy for somebody to be left open in that rotation. But if I do my job, keep Izzy in front of me, now everywhere else behind me, it's one-on-one basketball and not one-on-O or one versus the late one coming in a rotation. So now Izzy has to give it up and everybody's in a comfortable defensive position, all because of the job I did. So sometimes stats don't necessarily help because we don't know, unless it's hockey assists, which are a legitimate analytic stat, are you getting into the lane, penetrating, and then being able to make the pass that leads to the shot or make the pass that make that leads to the pass that makes the shot? And even if it's not a hockey assist and it's something like the third pass in the rotation or something like that, if you're two passes away from the actual basket, that's still a good thing. And that's because of the defensive rotation. And that was lazy and slow last night. And that's – I just – this is not panic. I'm not telling you the Suns are no longer a good team. I'm not telling you that they need to do ridiculous things. But I am telling you that if they don't start to take defensive, defensive basketball seriously, then this season is a waste. I mean a complete and utter waste. And that's where we are right now. This is an issue of leadership, heart, not schematics, but where you would get on a coach is saying, Frank, this is your forte. Why aren't you connecting? And it is something that Frank Vogel needs to think about a little bit because look at Frank Vogel's career. Indiana and Orlando were not talented teams when he coached them. And he was incredible at getting the – well, Orlando wasn't. Indiana had some talent. But he was incredible at getting those teams to play above their talent level. 
with the Lakers, he won a championship, albeit I don't want to say this to his face, I admit, but if he asked me, I would say it. I've always, I've never really given the Lakers credit for that 2020 title because it's a bubble title. Not that everybody didn't have the same rules, but I don't give him full credit because I don't think Anthony Davis can really play in a pressure situation in a playoff with a normal crowd on the road and do Anthony Davis type of things. Put him in a bubble when there's only 4,000 people there and they're off in a distance. And I'm like, all right, hey, basketball's easy now. And then you get the best version of Anthony Davis. And when he doesn't feel pressure, he's one of the best players of basketball. When he feels pressure, then he's, he's a house of glass. So that's why I'm, I don't go crazy for that championship. But still, it's one to nothing, Frank Vogel versus Doug Franz and Rings. Okay, I know my place. But I bring this up because, Frank, you do have to fight the reputation that you got while you were the Lakers head coach on the tail end of why couldn't you relate to the best basketball players? Why didn't you get the most out of the Los Angeles Lakers post-bubble? What happened? You need to prove to the NBA you can coach the best players versus being a great coach for average players. Can you be a good coach with great players? Right now, the answer is no. Right now, you have proven nothing. Now, I'm smart enough to know, oh my gosh, it's what, 25 games? What? Let me cheat. What are the Suns right now? 14 and 13, 27 games. Sorry, I was a little off. So, 27 games does not mean Frank Vogel can't coach. But it is fair to say in 27 games, you haven't proven that you can coach elite talent. That's proven to this point. What are you going to do about it now? Not that he's going to do it like, you know what, I'm going to show you, Doug. He doesn't care about me, but I think this is something that NBA circles would be talking about. Next game at Sacramento, a very much of a hustling team. Okay, Talent-wise, they're not better than the Suns. But heart and hustle-wise, they're light years ahead of the Suns. So what are the Suns going to do about it? We'll see Friday night. All right, that does it for Suns. Let's take a hard look at Cardinals coming up next in which we'll look at the Chicago game. We'll go through some of the things that were said by the coordinators. And there's one interesting conversation between the Cardinals sideline reporter and the defensive coordinator, where clearly the defensive coordinator is full of crap, but he's protecting his team. Is that a good thing? That's next. This is Doug Franz Unplugged, presented by Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass on WTSMTV.com. Here is Sue Riggler on starting 100 Mile Brewing Company. The name 100 Mile Brewing Company, it's where you keep your beer freshest from production. So we have a 10 barrel brewing system and I don't want the beer to travel any more than a radius of 100 miles outside of where we produce it here in Tempe, Arizona. And I'm also a runner. I've been running 45 years, so 100 Miles has a play on on that as well. The food, we have a full restaurant. It's elevated food for a brewery, and a local media has named us as the top 10 restaurants, places to eat in Tempe, Arizona. I've heard more than once from people that they say they dream about our burgers. So that's kind of a, I wouldn't dream about a burger, but okay. So if you were in the unplugged army, we need to be friends. There's thousands and thousands of you that I cannot wait to meet. So this is your spot. Doug's favorite beer. He likes a lot of them, but the favorite one is the A Mountain Amber Ale. So why don't you all come in? I invite you in. Ask for Sue. Ask for Todd. And we'll take really good care of you. I know it's a little bit difficult to understand this, but right now is a fantastic time to get a new air conditioner. 
Your AC unit has worked unbelievably hard in one of the hottest summers on record in the city of Phoenix. Well, right now, Parker & Sons has stocked up on air conditioners for the summer, and now the summer's over. So they're not nearly as expensive to get those units because they need to move them on. So you get that tremendous advantage on price. Now, if you're not sure if you need a new air conditioner, join the Parker family plan. We've been on the Parker family plan since about, oh, I don't know, a year or two after we moved here, and it's been fantastic. I totally believe they helped extend the life of our current unit by keeping it up to date with its warranty, warned us of pending doom, we admit, and eventually we got a new one from Parker & Sons and saved a lot of money because we were on the Parker family plan. Call 602-2-REPAIR. That's 602, the number two. Then R-E-P-A-I-R for Parker & Sons. Rosati Sports Pub in Chandler. It's on Ray and McQueen. Sounds like a sports bar. What's the difference? You walk in and they actually have games on TV with the sound on. How many times do you walk into a supposed sports bar and they've got loud music on or somebody playing live or some kind of trivia game going on and you're there to watch the game? If you're like me, a simple guy, give me my pizza, give me my wings, give me my cold beer and make sure I can hear the Suns and D-backs, then you want Rosati Sports Pub at Chandler. All members of the Unplugged Army, welcome. Rosati Sports Pub, give me the game. Interesting game this weekend. Um, Cardinals winning has zero effect on the Chicago Bears' number one overall potential choice. That choice comes to them because of the Bryce Young trade, in which that's actually Carolina's pick. Carolina being the worst team in the NFL. So that's what the Bears are looking at, watching Carolina and whether or not they get the number one pick. The Bears still have their first-round pick, and their own first-round pick right now would be fifth. So I don't know who's fourth. I know it goes um, Carolina one, New England two, Cardinals three, and then Bears fifth. And I can't remember who would be fourth right now in in the draft. Probably Washington. (laughs) Uh, I'm guessing, honestly. But anyway... The fifth pick is interesting. If the Cardinals win this game in Chicago, in in what uh, our our good friend Isaiah Jackson is call is calling what uh, countdown to the butt whooping week or countdown to the Cardinals butt whooping something like that. So that if the Cardinals do win this game, Cardinals would go to four and eleven. Bears would go to five and ten. So there'd only be a one game difference in which the Bears could leapfrog the Cardinals in draft order with more losses. If the Cardinals lose this game, they really do set themselves up well. Now, let me be clear. I hate tanking. I never would tank. I don't believe in tanking at all. I think it sets a losing culture for your team, and I don't know why coaches even accept jobs from teams that would tank because that's always going to be on your record forever. That's who you are as a coach. You coach tanking, whether you wanted to or not, whether you whether you think you signed up for it or not, that's what's happening. So this game is interesting because both teams are terrible. Either team could win it. Now, technically, I would go with the Cardinals under normal circumstances because of the run game. But Drew Pensing to me, he doesn't stink. I don't know if he's a good offensive coordinator or not. It's hard to tell when you've got very little talent. It's hard to tell when your quarterback is making a lot of bad reads. But 
at the same time, you could make it a lot easier on Kyler Murray if you ran the football. And I don't know why James Conner is having a good season when he gets the ball and he doesn't get the ball more. And in one of your wins against Atlanta, all you did was feed the ball to James Conner all the time. And it's never dawned on Drew Petzing, let's do that again. I, I don't know why that is. It, it's really a problem. So the media is making a big deal about how almost every reception is by a running back or a tight end. To them, the big deal is no passes to the wide receivers. That's not play calling, okay? Play calling is you you have a play where everybody runs their route. Do they get open? That That's the job of the receiver. Now, yes, coaches can design route trees. Well, they don't design the route tree, sorry. They, they, they design the route concepts that forces decisions by the defense. If I run this sale route over here, what does the safety do on film when I do that? So what route concept on the backside can I do to open somebody up? However, you do have to understand, and I just went from ripping Drew Petzing to kind of supporting him a little bit. I'm not being hypocritical. I'm just explaining. You also have to call these routes that you believe the offense, offensive line can protect for. If you can't get the protection to run a long developing route, then that's not bad play calling by not calling it because you know my O-line can't succeed if I do it. Or if you don't think Kyler can adjust or if you don't think um, Yelda Froholt is doing a good job calling out the protections, then it limits what you can do. All of this plays into it. But when it's just simply run the football, the only way that's Kyler's fault is if Kyler is checking out of passes into runs. That's it. That, or checking out, I should, let me say that in reverse, checking out of runs into passes. If he's doing that, that's not a Drew Petzing thing, that's a Kyler thing, other than telling him stop doing that, as a coach could. But I don't think that's the case because the way checks normally happen at the line is you see a quarterback go up and down the line of scrimmage or make a bunch of signals. It's hard to get a check done at the line with very limited uh, communication. Uh, well, I shouldn't say it's hard to. You can't do it. And I don't see Kyler making checks at the line of scrimmage and checking out of play calls. So because of that, I got to look at Drew Petzing and say, why aren't you running the football? But going back on Kyler, if they either A, don't trust him to make those checks, or B, he's not doing it, that again is not play calling. I think that makes sense, doesn't it? If I, Jeff Weir Production, if I tell you, that there are things in the control room that I don't understand, that I, or for me, I don't understand, but for a regular person, I can't see. Like, let's say I understand the control room, which I don't. If I knew how to run a control room, but I can't see it right now, and I'm saying, okay, Jeff Weir Production, if you see this, then do it this way. And if you see that, do it this way. And I give you clear instructions on what to do depending on the look the control room is giving you. Would you not agree it's your screw-up when you choose wrong? I would have to say yes. Now, you're lucky. I have no idea what you're looking at. So you can you can blame something all the time, and I'll go, okay, Jeff, thanks. You know, I don't know. <laughs> what am I going to do about it? So that's, that's not Drew Petzig's fault. If Kyler has the look that means check out of the play I called, do the other play. And he goes, no, I'm just going to run this one because I don't see it. Okay, that's on, that's on Kyler, all right? Do I know that that's happened this year? Yes. 
Do I know how often that's happened this year? No, I don't. I don't. That's that's something that I have some people that can help me tell tell me that, but it's not like they tell me every single game, okay, what did Kyler do? You know, it's like casual conversation. Hey, what's going on here? What's going on here? Oh, okay, thanks. It's kind of conversations like that. So that's different. Basically, I just rambled for five minutes explaining, Drew, run the ball. <laughs> Hopefully, I could have condensed that and been a little more entertaining, I think. Let's get to the sound. Like I said, the media cares about why aren't wide receivers catching the ball. So here's a longer quote from Drew talking about, does he really worry about the lack of involvement from the wide receivers? I'd say mixed, and it certainly, as you said, depends on the game. Like, if we're really rolling, we're putting up points, we're moving the ball the way we want to, I don't think it really crossed your mind too much. And then there's certainly a moment where, like, to me it's more like, hey, is Hollywood, touch-? like, your top guys, like, are they touching the ball, are they impacting the game? And if not, you know, in the course of that game, we might have had that conversation say, hey, let's call these two plays to get him the ball. Sometimes it goes there, sometimes it doesn't. I think, you know, Kyler's doing a nice job of making sure the ball is going where it's supposed to and not forcing the ball to people, which I think is an important part of playing the quarterback position. Um but I think it's more something you look at after and say, all right, hey, what, was that the case because of the scheme, the plan? What went into that? Was it the way we wanted to? If so, great. If not, all right, how do we correct that moving forward? Why do you think the tight ends get so many more targets than the receivers? Well, I, and certainly in this week, you know, big zone team that puts a shell over the defense, so you want to work inside. And then I think they've made, you know, when their numbers have been called, they've done a really nice job of making plays. And sometimes it's late in the progression. Like they may be third or fourth in the progression. College doing a nice job getting through. And then those guys are doing a great job when the ball is in their hand of making the most out of those opportunities. I mean, you saw Trey and Elijah, you know, body adjustment, catching away from their body, staying on their feet, doing some really nice things in the passing game. And so, that, you know, when you have success, you're going to, you know, continue to see the ball moving forward. There's a lot to chew on right there. A lot. Okay. Number one, obviously it's an easy agreement. If you're moving the ball well, why be concerned? The reason why you're moving the ball well, keep doing what you're doing. But how often is it that they're moving the ball well? Not very often. Now, they did have some really nice uh, drives and one of the better offensive games of the year against the 49ers, and that's an excellent defense, so they get credit there. But when he talks about, let's go through the decisions. What are you doing as a decision maker? Were there opportunities to get the balls to wide receivers that you didn't see? Was it a misread? Or are they simply not open? Okay, until I, I have to admit, I didn't get a chance to watch the All-22 this week. That's my fault. That's lazy on my part. I didn't, I didn't even realize it until I just started talking about it. But in the view that I had, the limited windows of this game, yes, there were some reads from Kyler where I get frustrated because I say, that's a read you expect to be made by a third-year quarterback, let alone Kyler Murray. However... There were plenty of other times where what the read I'm talking about, let's say, it's his fourth read. It's not his fault that the first three guys did not get open, okay? Now, there's a difference. They might not be open at the end, but they were NFL open in the middle, and you didn't see the coverage to know where the window was going to be. That happens on a quarterback, too. The play I went ballistic on was the interception, the first interception to Ward, when he didn't check the backside corner to be able to realize where is he going to be if I have to go through four progressions. That's still the quarterback's job. You've got to know what is he doing. Okay, I know what he's doing now. I'm a, I am I know if I get to progression four, I can let it rip. Or I know, hey, 
he might be there. If I get to progression four, I got to check, and then I might have to run. I might even have to eat the sack. I don't know, but I've got to know where he is. Now, that's twofold. That interception is still 100% Kyler's fault in the sense of don't throw that. However, it's I don't mind blaming 100% on both sides. You might say, Doug, you can't do that. No, I can't. Here's why. It's 100% the first three reads uh, receiver's fault for not getting open. Kyler doesn't have to go to the fourth progression if you guys get open. You do your job. Kyler doesn't get exposed. So that part of it's 100% on them. But after their failure, we can still judge Kyler and his ability to understand that interception doesn't happen if you would have done your job as well. The sack would not have been Kyler's fault. If he took a sack right there, that would have been totally on the receivers. And the route, maybe you could argue the route concept too of why didn't you press that corner? Why did you allow a corner to be able to drop back into coverage so the safety was able to play underneath and take away any crossers while the corner was able to pick up Trey McBride? How did you not see that's that's what Ward would do? There's a little bit on Drew Petzing on that too. You mentioned earlier that you – what did you say, Jeff? You mentioned earlier that you didn't watch the All-22. Uh-huh. Where do you find the All-22? It is a paid-for service that you pay NFL.com to show you. Okay. And that is, they do not give out the all-camera view to everybody. But any Well, I shouldn't say that. They give it to anybody who wants to pay for it. And therefore, like I like to go to games so I can see the coverage better. Um so I can't really see coverage on television if it's a deeper throw because the coverage then leaves the television screen. So I'm watching O-line play live, and then when I watch all replays, I'm studying coverage, as. but then I'm, I'm kind of a hostage to the, to the director of that game. What angles are they going to show me so I can see the coverage? I can usually see the pre-snap read. But you don't often get the post-snap validation until you see another angle. All 22, you get to see everything. So then I know exactly what they're doing. I'm glad you asked that. That's a good question. Then the next part of that is what Drew Petzing said when he talked about, okay, now what do the Bears do? They do a deep shell. That means, in a sense, just imagine, and this is kind of easy to uh, to understand. I'm going to kind of pretend that it's a cover two shell But imagine playing baseball with two outfielders. So you have a right center fielder and a left center fielder, and that's it, okay? So that's your two outfielders. And then instead of playing your third baseman and your first baseman right there on third and first, you drop them back and you have them play about halfway up the baseline. And I mean from first base all the way over to the foul pole. So imagine that kind of shell. So your first baseman and your third baseman, they're going to take anything that's hit over the outfield's head into the corners. But then the the two center fielders, quote-unquote, are going to take everything deep and in the gap. So where are the holes? The holes are in the flat, meaning right up the baseline on the ground, and dead middle, and over the first baseman and over the third baseman's heads. So that's exactly what Chicago will do. So therefore, Trey McBride under that defense will have a monster game. This is where you get into gambling now. 
If you look at gambling and you see a a prop bet on Trey McBride, I think he's going to get eight, nine receptions. You take the over on his receptions. You take the over on yards. Now, here's the catch. The Bears know he's pretty good. And the Bears know that that's the target that Kyler always looks for. So they're going to mix it up and probably do a lot of coverages where uh, they either come out of their shell and put a safety on them, or they might always have a zone look with the linebackers. And if you do that, now that should leave the wide receivers open easily to flood that zone in one direction, confuse the linebackers, and have somebody get deep on a sail route going the other way. What does all that mean? That means you got to protect Kyler because it takes a while to do all that. So Drew Petzing's going to know going into the game, this is how we beat them. This is one of those games where when the game is over, you will really know for sure a lot of your draft needs. You're going to know, wow, this O-line can't hold out against this team when we had the route concepts to smoke them. We should have done better. Or you're going to be able to see Kyler didn't read when they gave him the standard shell and then broke out of it in post-snap validation. So he drops back thinking they're doing this. That means this guy's going to be open. Suddenly that guy's not open and he didn't see the keys that they've already telegraphed to say, ha, we're not really in the defense you think we are. Now he's got, uh uh-oh, read one's not there, read two's not there. What do I do? He panics, takes a sack. That's different. That's not necessarily a coverage sack, even though we call it a coverage sack. That's a bad quarterback play, bad mental play, bad preparation sack. There's going to be a lot of openings on those runs where Kyler takes the shotgun snap and boom, runs out at the ankle. Because if they're going to be in that shell, there's going to be, it's going to be hard for somebody to be able to set the edge defensively. Kyler running the football along the outside will be a really good offensive play in this game. Force those cornerbacks to come up even more, and that will really open up Trey McBride on the outside. So this is a game where a guy like – I know you're going to get mad at me because I am keep going, keep going back to this. This is a game where Cliff Kingsbury would fall apart and they'd lose by 20 because you have to build on this game plan. It's a great test for Drew Petzing. You can't just grab bag. I think this play will work. Let's see if this play will work. Let's see if this play will work. Can't do a grab bag. You got to write a story. You got to build it. You got to show the Bears we want to do this. We want to do this. We want to do this. And once they adjust, ha, we got you. Now we're doing this. That's going to be the key to this game. This is a. This is kind of funny. Uh, this is why you kind of get excited about football, because talent wise, organization wise, this is a dog game. Okay, this is just trash, but it's a great game for you as a fan to really see what's the direction of this organization. Where are the holes? Because you're playing another team with a bunch of holes. All right, the next one's just kind of for fun from Drew Petzing. This, why did I say all right? This is all right, all right, all right. This is Drew Petzing looking at the Demarcado run, a Demarcado run, and when he talks about it. I thought it was interesting how he goes into his own mindset. He doesn't really open up like this a lot, but he's calling a play 
looks like his running back's down. Okay, check what the down distance would be. Already think of the next play. Ooh, crowd goes crazy. He looks back up and he realizes, oh, the play's not over yet. Yeah, the, the big thing is like when the play's called, I kind of I take a look at the look, and I also I'm kind of going through my mind. I'm like, all right, what are the ne- what's my next call, right? So it's like, all right, I'm expecting I got to be ready for. You, you rarely are prepared for the explosive. Like I'm never like, oh, this is going to go for forty, and I got to be ready for my first and goal call, you know. So I think it's you, you kind of see him going to the pile, and all of a sudden you kind of hear the crowd, and you're like, you, you know, I kind of looked up and was like, oh, he's gone, like it's over, like I don't even have to call another play. So and then as you saw it on tape, I mean, he did a great job, and, and the guys in front of him, just the effort to maintain blocks, you know, any you hit a run like that somebody out on the perimeter is engaged with their guy down the field and I think that's a big part of the run game and allowing us to be explosive is making sure that it takes all 10 other guys the quarterback included to make sure that we're doing that to spring runs like that so I think you saw that on that play you know I think both wideouts to the left were locked up in the perimeter and gave him the clean lane and safety took the wrong angle and he made him pay for it it's a really good breakdown, breakdown, breakdown right there. And it opened up, uh, it gave us a little chance to get into the head of what's it like to be an actual OC. Let's go to the defensive side of the ball. This is a longer cut. Questions are included, but it, it kind of bothered me a little bit. Um, this is Nick Rollis talking about the problems with the 49ers and how guys got open. And I... I didn't like it at first. I thought he got a little soft and cheesy in his answer and didn't really stand up and tries to blame himself, which I always am impressed with until it's just blatantly false. You know, like, like always, there's a handful of things that um, when you lose a game like that, that are, that are going wrong from, you know, scheme to technique to uh, all the little details. And I actually kind of wrapped up the meeting of, hey, what was the overarching theme there? There really wasn't one, right? There's a lot of different things that we need to get better at and we need to take today to learn from this tape and then go apply this on um, Wednesday at practice and meetings, all of that, get ready for Chicago. So, you know, anytime, you know, it really in any football game, whether you win it or lose it, if it felt great, um, if it felt terrible, there's always different layers of things that need to get improved on and you always have to be looking at it on a Monday, on a Tuesday with no emotion, but a very critical viewpoint of how can we get better at coaching it? How can we better at get better at getting the players to execute it better um, and everything like that? So, you know, that was kind of the, the message as it is every Monday, no matter what the result of Sunday's game is. What happened on two plays where you guys were left wide open? Yeah, um, you know, a couple of those things were ultimately it always starts with the coaching, whether it's a schematic thing or um, it is a detail of within the scheme, hey, how do we execute it better? So um, a combination of, of all those things ultimately always starts with coaches. Hey, how can we, whether it's, hey, how can we make the scheme better? We make the rules better um, so that that sort of thing doesn't happen. Or, hey, man, we should have been good there. How do we get the player to be able to recognize that and, and put themselves in position to make that play? So a combination of those things. Um, but ultimately, coaches got to, we got to be better as coaches to get that corrected. And um, the players got to go execute it. In just a second, Jeff, I'm going to skip and go Rollis 3 and then go back to Rollis 2. So if you could get Rollis 3 ready, that would be wonderful. Um, I'll be talking about that, the, the last quote, in the meantime. With where he's going, we all know what happened. We're talking about the Debo Samuel touchdown. He goes into motion. Nobody stays with him, meaning they're in zone, and yet nobody even remotely covers that zone touchdown. And then McCaffrey 
terrible decision by Jalen Thompson as well, and McCaffrey beats them off the line, and then nobody's back there. So either Jalen, what are you doing? How are you not dropping back? Why are you trying to take away the short when you've got no help? Or was he supposed to have help? And did he step up and do exactly what he was supposed to do and everybody else screwed up? I, I don't know the answer to that question. All we know is, boy, you guys really screwed that up. You actually had a receiver with his back to the end zone. Jump up, catch the ball, fall down, get back up and run into the end zone and nobody touched him. Like, it's hard to be that open. It's almost impossible to be that bad of a defense where that happens at the NFL level, and it did happen. So you've got that play. Well, where he's talking about is we've got to coach better because either we have a scheme in place that was easily pressured into breaking – and that's on us. Or he's even being kind enough to say the player screwed it up, but we didn't coach it well enough. If the player screwed up that bad, we're clearly not getting them the message. Okay, that, that part is true. But are you truly holding the players accountable? Or are you afraid to do it in a presser? Some coaches refuse to tell you and I a player screwed up. But they don't have any problem telling a player that they screwed up in the room. Okay, that does happen. And they don't owe it to us to tell us. But when they get caught in a lie, it's kind of funny. Okay, so here you go. This is Rollis 3, and this is the phrase M-E. And you're going to be able to hear that phrase from Paul Calvisi. And M-E is initials. It doesn't stand for me. It stands for mental error. But the acronym is good that it's me because it's your error. It's me. It's my fault, okay? Mental error. And Nick Rollis has asked specifically, in a sense, about his earlier quote, of sometimes it's scheme, sometimes we're not coaching the players right to see it. what are their keys, what are they supposed to be looking at. And Paul follows up the conversation by asking, do you just chalk that up to MEs? How do you correct them? And all of a sudden, Nick Rawls is getting ready to answer, and then he's like, uh, wait, are you? do you mean what's uh, our grading system? And he's just like reaching for straws, and what he means is, how do we tell the players when they screw up? And he goes, no, no, no. I, I Clearly somebody screwed up. How do you explain the mental errors? What do you guys talk to the team about? And then Nick Rollins just goes somewhere else. Clearly meaning that he's trying to hide the fact that that was a total player mistake on those on those flaws. Here you go. It's ultimately you marked down as an ME, as a mental error, because guys were open and you know, miss and alignment or assignment. Um, you asking about our grading system? No, I'm just, I'm just curious. Do you ultimately attribute that to a mental error, just with the guy being that open on those two plays? Yeah, like I said, some things are, you know, it's always going to start with the coaches, whether or not it's um, very clear of, hey, this is what we got to do to stop this, or, hey, this gives our rules some challenges. So uh, it's usually a little bit gray, and there's layers to how you can improve it from a coaching standpoint, from a playing standpoint. <laughs> okay. If putting a man in motion puts that much stress on your defense, it puts stress on your rules, as he said, you guys have no chance. At the same time, he said, if it creates situations where there's a little gray, oh my gosh. Fire everybody, okay? This this is where you know he's lying. 
And I'm not calling him a liar. There's a difference. And the reason why there's a difference, fair or not, he's trying to protect people on the team. He doesn't want us to know as fans and media who screwed up. He doesn't want to talk about it. He wants to keep it collective as a team. I respect that. But let me explain. I believe the Unplugged Army is smart enough to say to Doe, that answer is a joke. It is a joke. Wait, are, are you talking about our grading system? Meaning, I don't know what I'm going to say. No, no. I mean, do you just chalk that up to an ME where the player, well, you know, did this movement, did this thing create some stressors that, that found some gray areas? If there's gray areas because a man went into motion, none of you should be there. Okay? It's week 13. That was week 14. There are three games left. We're going into week 15 of the season. I realize there's been some injuries. I realize newer guys need to come in, make mistakes. That's how you learn. I realize some guys like Akitro Clark is starting at the beginning, falls off the horse, works his way back in, then gets a little banged up and doesn't succeed in, uh, in, in the mental game. I know there's all kinds of problems right now. I get it. I get it. But when you say something like, well, it creates some gray areas. I guarantee you, he didn't say in that room, guys, this is a little gray. All right? This is where, boy, they, they found a hole in our defense. My bad. I know they had to have said, when they do this, we're going to do this. And they didn't do it. Is that coaching? Yeah. You've got to coach your players to do the job. But at the same time, I would hope the things the 49ers do don't create gray areas. It's the disconnect of communication there. Uh, and that one bothered me. Okay, the last one from Nick Rollis is, uh, I like this follow-up. It's a comment from the head coach, Jonathan Gannon, about eye discipline and how the 49ers did things that messed with our eye discipline. And even though I think you and I know what that means, it's always a good follow-up. So Nick Rollis was just asked, give us an example, what, what coach is talking about how the 49ers stressed eye discipline. Um, everything starts with your eyes as far as what is my assignment, what is the offense doing and how I need to respond to what I'm getting. So when he's talking about eye discipline, he's talking about did we see what we need to see correctly in order to trigger the correct response within what our scheme is versus what they were giving us. So when he talks about eyes, you know, that's the first part of our sensory process that triggers our actions that carry out what we need to do within the scheme. Um, there's a thing, eye candy. Uh, illusion, a com illusion of complexity. Uh, this is always funny to me. This is what the former head coach, Cliff Kingsbury, always thought he could do. He thought he could do things situationally, formationally, motion-wise that would then fool the defense. So the play is very simple, but the defense is fooled by the concepts and don't realize who's going to be the guy that gets open. What was ridiculous is this team used the least amount of motion of anybody and never really moved its individual receivers around to stress anybody. It's crazy that he just constantly thought this magical route concept will fool them into not realizing that DeAndre Hopkins is going to run 10 yards down the field and turn right. <laughs> like You're never going to see that, even though that's what he does all the time. Somehow, because you did something else, you're not going to know he's going to do that again, and, and, he, and he does it again. So what the 49ers do 
is they've always got somebody in motion or they've always got a route concept set up in one direction that really stresses the coverage when somebody comes over from the other side of the formation. With the line protecting well enough, you're so focused on, let's say, the trip's right that you don't have anybody that can handle George Kittle when all of a sudden he comes from the other side of the formation and ends up being in the flooded zone. Different things. Okay, where are my eyes? What's my eye discipline? Wait a minute. He was supposed to, that, that's the formation where Debo Samuel's going to go over here, but now Samuel went into motion. That means now that's my zone. I've got to stay here. I no longer have the responsibility of somebody else. I've got to stay here. Oh, I'm still focused with my eyes of the other guy that I thought was going to be my responsibility. Things like that. That's what he means by eye discipline. It's a great phrase. Are you getting fooled by the eye candy or are you simply looking at the offense right before the snap and saying, here's the formation? One of the things I'm noticing, the communication between Buda Baker and the rest of the guys isn't what it used to be. Buda Baker doesn't get fooled very often, and he's getting fooled a lot more this year. And that is something to keep an eye on that I don't think he's got the same conceptual brilliance within this defense that he's had in defenses past. That's something that has to change next year. I think Buda's had an okay year, but he hasn't had a Buda year this year. And I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if that's just a disconnect with the defense, whether it's the coach's fault. Because I, I guarantee you Boot is working as hard as he can. Guaranteed of that. But right now, it's just not clicking right now. All right, coming up next. Um, do, I, do I have – am I out of breaks? I, I can't remember, Jeff. No, Lippert. we got one more. We got one more. Okay, let's hit that now. If you didn't see Coyotes last night, I really want to spend some hardcore time on the Coyotes. As mad as I got about the Suns, you gotta love the mullet magic from last night. That's next. This is Doug Franz Unplugged, presented by Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass on WTSMTV.com. It's big, it's juicy, it's meaty. Get your burrito at Burrito Express. If you're having a hangover, a bad day, even a good day, still get your burrito at Burrito Express. It will make you feel better. Burrito Express started with my father about 25 years ago. He got laid off and decided that he needed to do something to provide for his family. My brother and I were older teens, 17, 18 year old. And I'm going to do a trial out of my house. So literally, we decided we're going to start out of his house. So we delivered uh, menus in a square mile area. Literally started delivering burritos out of our home in Mesa, Arizona. And after about a month, he said, let's do this. Went and found his first location. And believe it or not, that's how it started. We started with one location back in 1995. Now we're where we are now. We're trying to go rapid fire here, but I, I was just so motivated by what I saw last night from the the Coyotes. Coyotes gave up a lot of bad luck goals in the third period last night. Or excuse me, in the first period last night. They're down three nothing. But I'm talking about shots that would have went into the face-off circle that were deflected into the net from the middle of the ice, but like far away from the goalie where you're not yelling and screaming, get that screener out of there, hit him. It was, they're not flukes. They were great plays by Ottawa, but it's just crazy. Plus, Ottawa fired their coach, so they're all fired up to get in there and to be able to do something. So I, I get it. And yet, 
wow, did the Coyotes do amazing things to get themselves back into this game. And I want, I just want you to be able to feel the excitement of the game by watching it with me. So think about this. Down 3 nothing, no goals, goals scored. Goals? Goals scored. In, that's hard. Goals scored in the second period. And then in the third, I actually no, in the second, the first goal I'm going to show you is in the second to be able to, to make the 3 nothing deficit at least down 3-1. to one. Four seconds to go, so the Coyotes are going to come up empty on this power play. It's brought in by Cooley. Megan Cooley trying to get it to the front. Marconi behind the net. Spinorama shot right to the crease. They score! Oh. Jack McBain! Even strength goal, and the lead is cut to two. But look at the Coyotes. They work down low. Marconi, Logan Cooley... Involved as well, and Cooley's going to pick this one up. He throws it right at the net. Jack McBain, right place, right time. Another stop by Corpusalo. It goes right to the stick of McBain, who buries it. That is such a big goal for the big man. So if you don't know Jack McBain, he doesn't have any points so far in December. He had one point in November. Okay, it's just, where have you been? And bam, gets a goal there. That's huge. I'll get back to McBain in a second. Now you're down 3-1, and then you get to the midway point of the third period. So now you're thinking, you're not thinking you're going to lose, but you're thinking it's going to be really hard for us to get two goals in the final 10 minutes of the game. And guess what happens? Bang, bang. Chicken sends it around. Michelli, big hit there. Michelli gets it right back, skates in, rebound, they score! J.J. Moser on a follow-up, and it's a one-goal game. Now watch Michelli here. He's the one with the whole face shield. Pucks and people to the net. Michelli takes it to the middle of the ice, and J.J. Moser sneaks down the left side. Not sure if that went off a Corpusalo or not, but right onto the twig of J.J. Moser. And he buries it in a wide, empty cage. Corpusalo almost gets over to deny Moser. Look at this effort by Corpusalo. So both of the first two goals are pad save, big rebounds to the opposite side of the ice, and someone's crashing. So now suddenly it's three to two. This is only 30 seconds later, 30 seconds later, down by a goal. They just do not go away. Down three, nothing. Two on answer. Keller brings it in. Try to drop it for Stetcher. Stetcher's got it. Down to the corner. They score. They tied it. And it's Clayton Keller. Now watch this angle from Keller. What an answer. Ride that wave. Clayton Keller. He's almost fouled the goal line. Oh, my goodness. And he catches Corpusalo. Oh. Not sure how that went in. <laughs> Think about that. That's three replays and, and 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 a great Tyson Nash is hilarious. I'm not sure how that went in after the third replay. What a shot by uh, Clayton Keller. Now remember Jack McBain. 
you get a point statistically when you get a goal or an assist. So he's had one point since October. Now he's got one point in this game. Four minutes left in the game. They've tied it up after being down 3 nothing. Dermott shoots. Stop that time. Got through. Carcone shoots in another save. Corpusalo in front. Chance Kesselring shoots. Another save and it goes in. It goes in. Kesselring's going to get credited for the goal. The pressure. McVeigh how about that little spinorama? The Coyotes all over the Senators. They got five guys back, but they can't stop. They can't contain this Watch group. this off the skate the in just the corner. kept firing. Right here. Oh, no, no. And you can't. No, no, no. Hamannick and into the back <laughs> of the net. Oh, now it's McBain that gets an assist on it because he's the one that got the pass to Sanford. Sanford took the first shot that bounced out to Kesterling. So it's another rebound. But this, it gets shot wide. And I, sorry, I forgot to write down who it was defensively. But they tried to kick it to their stick. You don't do that in front of the net. Oh, no, but it's such a habit. Such a habit. And the puck bounced off his ankle, ankle instead of his skate, and it goes in. They get the win. It was, it was an awesome, awesome comeback. And uh, Andre Turney uh, after the game. I just got time for Andre one, if you could. Give me a Turney one. When, uh, he, I've never heard a coach say that. We're down 3 nothing, but we didn't play bad. I think we played well even in the first. I think they uh, they made good play on their goal. Give them credit, but still, I think we had the momentum. We create good offense. We uh, we were good in our structure. We had more traffic at the net. We had more pucks at the net. All the stuff we we talk about. And the only one part in the first was not as good as our breakout. We were oh, we're winner. We're trying to make play where there were no play. They just made the adjustment and. Second, third, they were much better, and uh, we uh, we kept kept coming and kept coming, and uh, we found a way. I assume when Boehner uh, broke the ice, I think uh, we all had the feeling, okay, that's not over. And I don't know if we'll make it, but that will be. Uh, we're still in it, and we were. What is referring to there when he said the only issue was the breakout? We were trying. It sounds weird. We're trying to make a play where there was no play. That basically means we got the puck in our defensive zone. We were able to recover it, and then the first thing we do is we turn it over or we try to make passes where it's not tape to tape, but make the simple play. We're better than they are. Just make the simple play. It's almost advice for you today, okay? Just do the simple play. Everybody else is going to screw up because they're thinking about Christmas vacation. Just do the simple play today, and you'll be successful. Uh, right now, Steve McCollum is standing by, hockey guru, as, uh, as I spend a ton of time talking uh, hockey today. And uh, I admit it, I'm watching them down 3 nothing yeah. in the first, thinking this is Ottawa. I don't care that they fired their coach. 3 to nothing. but I admit the goals weren't flukes. They no. were just, wow, that's, that's not on Ingram. And, and yet that's impressive that the, that the Coyotes never got down. Good goalies stop those pucks, man. I don't know, though. When you have a guy deflecting a shot no, that might hit the bench, yeah, you know, no. it's such a crazy Yeah, I mean, shot. that's the that's the issue. Deflect, that's why you have guys in front of the net, to deflect it. Yeah. And then that, the goalkeeper. Goalkeeping is just angles, right? Yeah. And so you got to change the angle of the puck. That's how you score usually. Uh, but, man, they got lucky for that game winner, man. It went out the Ottawa guy. I don't that know what was he was bad. doing. I don't know what he now, was I doing. I still feel momentum-wise they probably win in yeah, OT, yeah. but you're dead on. I mean, but, you're dead on. What was that? But this is the problem with the Coyotes. We talked about this when you – 
you and everybody was all excited that they're on that five game winning yeah. streak. And I was like, yeah, let's see if they can sustain. They can never sustain it. Uh, and uh, you know, they showed it last night. Yeah, they got the win, absolutely. But look, that was a team they should have buried. But the they're they still in the wild. They're still the wild card yeah, no, team. I, Come I, on, I get, get excited. It. It's it's December. Settle, settle down, Tiger. You don't think they're going to the playoffs? Uh, no, they they should challenge for the playoffs this year. Not challenge. Do you think they're going? No, to right the playoffs? now, right now, no. So uh, because uh, there are teams behind them that are going to wake up, uh, you know, come January, February, and have a big run at the end. And can the Coyotes sustain a deal? Uh, but they should be in the race. So yeah. the last week of the season, we should be saying if they win these games, they're in. And, and now it's just up to them to win. They should be in that position. Now, whether they get in or not, it's going to depend on if they can do it. I'm going to give you the softest guarantee in the history of the world. <laughs> I guarantee they're getting into the playoffs if Calgary and St. Louis and maybe one other team do nothing at the trade deadline. <laughs> I, and that's what, not going to happen. What I think is going to happen is the Coyotes won't do anything yes, yes. at the trade deadline. So if And that's why I'm, I, no. I realize I'm, it's a gutless guarantee. It, but it means yeah. if it's just all even of where the rosters are now, yeah. I think the Coyotes are better than well, those teams. But I don't think they'll be the, the other teams will be the same down the stretch. The thing that you're forgetting is that uh, Coyotes could contract at the trade deadline if they're not playing well yeah, because yeah, they have yeah. a lot of one-year veterans You're that right. can do a that can help out a team uh in their stanley cup run Man, so the coyotes could well. actually pull back a little bit and go backwards hey so. build us build us an arena while we're close to the playoffs and then we say never mind <laughs> well it depends <laughs> where they're at in the standings and they i mean they have a lot of one-year contracts on veterans that could help out other teams yeah. st louis is a weird situation Did you see that where uh flurry goes back to pittsburgh and yeah. they decided not to start him in yeah. that game uh, that that coach. Good luck, buddy. Good luck, buddy, <laughs> with that one. It's such an interesting dynamic because you know, it's the if if the Coyotes slip, it's one hundred percent the right move in team building. The GM has proven he's good at yeah. the draft, so collect more assets. That makes sense and be a great team when your new building is open. However, yes. you don't have a plan that's at least public. So how are you going to sell the plan when you're yeah. selling off players? That, that's my argument with the Coyote situation. Bill Armstrong, you know, uh, he gets credit for building the Blues that year, uh, but he was the assistant GM. He had a say in it, but there was a guy above him. Right, uh, right. And uh, look, but that's my argument with it is, is the Coyotes are going off of with everything. Stadium, roster building. Yeah. What, what are they? Oh, trust us. Yeah. Okay, what? <laughs> uh, excuse me, what? <laughs> <laughs> now, if you were Pittsburgh, right, or, or Tampa Bay or a team, you know, uh, the Vegas Knights. Okay, I'll trust you guys because yeah. you guys have shown us stuff. Coyotes have shown us nothing. And they're still like, oh, trust us. Trust us, and that's the worrisome thing about it. I mean, they're going the right direction, but uh, there's a danger of them. Now, if they're in the wild card race and they pull back, uh, pitchforks should come out from from fans, absolutely. But if they falter, because look at this team, man. They're up and down. Yeah, I, I get it. Uh, your number – I realize you're going to want to save parts of it. You've got a, an entire show to do. But your number yeah. one Suns opinion today. Um, they – oh, I'll just I, – I know what the problem with the Suns is. Besides the point guard, they need a bona fide point guard. Get the ball out of Booker's hands. Now, I think you said it earlier. Somebody said it earlier. Uh, that uh, the last two minutes is a different story. We all know yep. NBA last two I minutes, things go out the window. They need a bona fide guy that can bring the ball up. Uh, there's 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 just a lack of movement with the ball handling because Booker's got it coming up, uh, and they have other guys. The other problem with it is, is the roster. They have reconstructed. It's either the roster or it's coaching or a combination of both. They have constructed a roster 
that quite frankly cannot play, whether it's in the system or in general. The bench has got awful. It's worse than last year's bench, and last year's bench was awful. 43 to 14. Now, I understand you got Okogi's out, right? Damian yep. Lee's out. So you've got that. Maybe it improves when you get those two guys back, for instance. Because your hustling defensive guards yes. are out. Yeah. Yes. And, but uh, even their right now, three, four, and five starters aren't playing well. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a construction problem on this team that they have to figure out. Now, maybe it gets solved, but I hesitate to say, oh, we're just waiting for a Kogi and, and Lee to come back. Yeah, yeah, that's what we say <laughs> with the big three. Uh, but that's weird. the problem with the Suns. It's, the, it's either a roster construction or a coaching staff with the roster construction is the problem right now. Booker's fine. KD's fine. In the NBA, you should win with two superstars, mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. a team like Portland. And the fact that they're not, there's no help for those guys, and that's the problem. Yeah, uh, I'm with you. How's Dale doing? How, how's his life? Uh, good. Yeah, I mean, he's grumpy that he has to come work with me, but, uh, you know, <laughs> other than that, he's all right. <laughs> that's that's good. All right, dominate your day. Have a good show. <laughs> you too, man. Guys, have fun. Thank you. you. That's uh, Steve McCollum coming up. The main event, the only place. Oh, look at that. I want to pay attention. He was two minutes early, two seconds early. Steve McCollum, absolutely perfect on getting out on time. And I butcher it like crazy. That was kind of embarrassing to be quite honest. Steve McCollum coming up 8 to 10. iOS, Izzy on Sports coming up 10 to noon. The only TV station in the entire state of Arizona that gives you six straight hours of local sports television every weekday morning, 6A, 12P. Love to have a part of it. And then on Tuesdays, we do a little extra credit. Hanging with Coop at noon, the organic football show at one, where you get a lot of extra intel for uh, for your team. For me, it's time for versus Vegas. I'll get to it in a second, but I really want to hammer home a point that Steve made that I just thought was really, really good. Booker is doing a good job as the point guard, and they need a point guard. <laughs> that seems like that would be counterintuitive. No, it's not, because think of it this way. If Booker's bringing the ball up, what are you doing defensively? You're doing two things. Focus like crazy on Booker and focus like crazy on Kevin Durant. That's it. That's really what you're doing. Oh, well, you threw it into Nurkic on the screen and roll. Now Nurkic has got it. We're not worried. As soon as you have a point guard bringing the ball up, what are you worried about defensively? You're worried about not even if the point guard's average, you still have to stop the ball, right? So all eyes are on the ball. And you have to defend Booker and Durant's movement. You condense the defense when it's just Booker-Durant. When you add a point guard, now you have the element of I've got to watch the ball and have four guys trying to cover Booker-Durant. That can lead to people turning their head the wrong way. Boom. Now the point guard can initiate an offense. And then like we both said, Steve and I totally agree, two minutes left in the game. Okay, let's no longer fiddle with that. Now you're scared to death of Booker, but Booker's already hot. He's already been playing off the ball all game. Now you've got a better offensive rotation, better offensive move. This is not a demotion of Booker. It's an elevation of the team if you get a point guard. I had no problem starting the year with him. So this is, I'm not saying this is hindsight in the sense of I told you so at all. I'm saying you tried it. Booker showed totally he can be a point guard. But your team's better when he's not. So why not go get one? I hope that they're listening to Doug Franz Unplugged presented by Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. I hope they're listening to the main event with Steve McCullough and Dale Hillister. 
because we're right on this one. They need to get that done. All right. That, 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 was, that was very good basketball talk, and I should have done that a lot sooner. Let me get to versus Vegas now. Um, a little frustrated. A little frustrated with the Boston Bruins. I went 2-1 and one yesterday. Should have been 3-0. and oh. That was bad news. I took uh, Boston uh, covering the puck line against Minnesota. The Bruins did not cover because they didn't win, in which Boston loses 4-3 to three in overtime. I got a game right, and I should have been better. I could have taken Tampa Bay covering the spread, and I didn't. I took Tampa Bay on the money line. If I would have taken them minus one and a half, I would have had decent juice. Instead, I took the bad juice, but still got the game right. They crushed the Blues six to one, but I didn't win as much as I could. I think I I won two bucks. And then I took the Coyotes on the money line, and that was a funny bet because I thought for sure the Coyotes would cover the puck line of minus one and a half. And then I saw that wasn't the puck line. I saw Ottawa was favored. I saw Vegas saying, you know what? By firing their head coach, they're going to come out on fire. Vegas obviously agrees with Steve that the Coyotes are too up and down. And when they made Ottawa the favorite, I thought, okay, something screwy going on here. Something screwy. So I'll take, I'll take, I'll take Coyotes on the money line. That was pretty gutsy because I had good juice. I had terrible full juice if I would have taken the Coyotes on the puck line at plus one and a half. But I thought, no, let's go stick our neck out a little bit. Coyotes win. What did I feel like an idiot when they were down three to nothing? I just felt like, man, did I blow this. Why didn't I look at it and say Vegas knows what they're doing? That's why Ottawa's favored. Don't touch this game. Got lucky and got it right. So I go two and one on the day. Record now stands at 1060, 966 and eight. Still up on units because of Alex Bregman of the Astros and Rory McElroy in golf, but still below 53% overall, which means you know what you're doing. So I'm still in the official category of not bad, don't know what I'm doing. That's why I'm a minnow. That's why you should pay very close attention to other people and just realize I'm having fun. I'm just screwing around with uh, with my bets. All right, here's what I got for you today. I don't like any of the uh, NBA games uh, tonight. I do like two hockey matchups. I've got Washington on the money line against the Islanders. The Islanders are on the back end of a back-to-back. Um, not huge. They just traveled from New York and Uniondale down to um, Washington. So it's not that big of a deal. But still, there's a little bit of rest. Uh, so I'm going to go Washington on the money line against the Islanders. And then the Kings are on the back end of a back-to-back. But they only had to come from San Jose down. Seattle is favored. I'm going to take the – no, excuse me. The Kings are favored. I'm going to take the bad juice and take the extra goal and a half. A good gambler would not touch this game because they would say, wait, the Kings are better than Seattle. And I've got to bet a unit to win about – Three quarters of a unit, I'm not touching that game. Or they would take the Kings minus one and a half and say, screw your problems on a back-to-back. I'm going to make a ton of money on the Kings because they're a better team. I'm going to go the safe route, take Seattle plus the goal and a half and say, tired legs for the Kings. Hopefully Seattle keeps it close. And then I'm going to walk away 2-0 and coming up for tomorrow's show. But we'll see. 
That does it for today's version of Doug Franz Unplugged, presented by Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. Unplugged at Whirlwind.com creates great savings if you want to become a Whirlwind Plus member. Our restaurant collection is fantastic. The original sponsor of Doug Franz Unplugged, Bell's National Kitchen, Old Town Scottsdale. If you get the National Hot Chicken Sandwich, you will find out why it is voted the best sandwich in all of the state of Arizona. If I'm getting a different sandwich and I want a turkey club, I really like going to 100 Mile Brewing. 100 Mile Brewing Company's in Tempe, right where the 202 Rural and Scottsdale all come together. Pull into Macayos, but don't go to Macayos. Keep going. Best breakfast burrito you'll ever have in your life is at Burrito Express, but they also serve lunch, and they're open as late at 3 o'clock if you want to get them to cater dinner. Go call them, stop by, and bring everything over for dinner. Rosati's is the official sports bar, but only the one at Chandler. And Parker & Sons will help you out with your heating, cooling, plumbing, and electrical. The main event's up next. I'll see you tomorrow.